And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. You deserve all the praise. You deserve the might, the glory, the honor, the blessing. Lord, help us to see and to know that that is so. We pray that you would use your word now, that you would use what John saw, what you revealed to him, that you would use that to change us, to grow us, to transform us more into the likeness of Christ, that we would see him for who he is, and that we would respond in appropriate awe and worship and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated and please open once again to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Remember last week in chapter 4, which Pastor Stephen covered, we were brought into the very throne room of heaven. And it is a place of indescribable beauty. It is a place of humbling majesty. Humbling majesty where there is lightning and thunder and fire and angelic creatures that all testify to the glory, to the authority, to the awesome presence of God. And perhaps most important, we saw last week that this is a place of unending worship. John sees 24 elders, most likely representing all the redeemed, all of God's people. John sees four living creatures, four angelic beings, most likely representing the entire created order, all of creation. And what are they doing? They are worshiping before the throne of God. We are reminded here again that God's throne stands secure. God's throne stands immovable. God's throne stands fixed, glorious, eternal. God rules always and forever from his exalted throne. And these four angelic creatures, day and night, as we saw last week, they continually say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So, in the minds of these angelic beings, there is never a question about the existence of God. About the the authority and the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the presence of God to see and to rule over his creation. And then in response to this song that these four creatures say and sing in response to this, the 24 elders also worship. They sing their own song saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, the people of God rightly worship God as Creator, as the one who wills and sustains all things. Clearly, uh, here we see the testimony uh, that that the the, the people of God, they testify uh, to the creative genius of God as seen in His creation. And John sees all this. John describes this for us. He, he sees something of the glory of God. He experiences something of the worship of heaven. John testifies to the reality that as Creator, God deserves worship. He is worthy of our praise. But 
that's not all that John sees. There is, there is more. There's something else. John sees something beyond the glory of creation. John sees something beyond uh, the worship that God deserves for being the creator. Now, before we get to verse 1 of chapter 5, l- let me just say this. I would gladly have us preach through the entire book of Revelation just to get to chapter 5. Okay, listen, if if chapters one through four were just really long genealogies, I would gladly have us preach those long genealogies just to get here, just to get to Revelation chapter five. In my mind, this is one of the most important, one of the most climactic, one of the most worldview shaping, one of the most worship motivating chapters in the entire Bible. Um. So here we are in the throne room of heaven. John has seen worship ascribed to God for his role as creator. Here's what he sees next. Look at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? To open the scroll and break its seals. So, John sees that in the right hand of the Father, in the right hand of the one on the throne, and this is the right hand, this is the hand of strength and blessing and of, and of power, there sits a scroll. There sits this scroll, and this is a scroll of some significance. This is a scroll that calls for the attention of heaven. This is a scroll, as we'll see, must be opened. Must be opened. This is a scroll that will give shape and direction to everything that follows in the book of Revelation. So please note this on your outline. And by the way, we haven't said much yet, but we, we will note this though. Whatever this scroll is, it is full. It is complete with writing on the front and on the back. So the point is this, as John sees this scroll, nobody will be adding to this scroll. Nobody will be editing this scroll. Nobody will be taking this scroll and saying, you know what this scroll needs? This scroll needs an appendix. This scroll needs some more information. This scroll needs to be edited and changed and reworked and and, and reshaped. Oh, I don't think so. In fact, also notice this. This is not only a full and complete scroll. This is a protected scroll. Where does this scroll sit? In the right hand of God himself. Let me ask you this. What, are you going to go wrestle that scroll from God? Are you going to walk up and take something out of the right hand of God when it does not belong to you? Who would even dare to approach the throne to take something out of the right hand of the one who sits on the throne? This scroll is full. It is complete. It is protected. You say, fine, but what is it? What is this scroll? And why is it so important that it calls for the attention of heaven? And why is it so important that a loud, strong angel proclaims who is worthy? Who is worthy to take the scroll 
and to open it and to break the seals. Now, if you've read the rest of the book of Revelation, then you know, you know something of this scroll's significance. And if you've not read the rest of the book of Revelation, don't feel bad, but you're going to have to take my word for it, that this scroll is immensely important. We will see that. We will unpack that in the coming days. But for the time being, again, you have to take my word for this, but note this on your outline. This scroll outlines and activates... God's plan. Okay, let me say it again. This scroll outlines and activates God's plan to accomplish justice, to make all things new, to further reveal and magnify his character and nature, and to unveil the full glory of Christ's kingdom. So yes, yes, this scroll is pretty important. And, and again, here's what we'll see in the progressive unrolling of this scroll as the seals are broken. Listen, those seals that keep the information enclosed and protected and reserved for the one who is worthy. For the one who will open this scroll, right? Here's what we'll see as it is unrolled and as the seals are broken. We will see the righteousness of God displayed. We will see justice and wrath from God poured out. We will see God's grace alive and powerfully working in the hearts and minds of so many. We will see the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. We will see the defeat and the destruction of all of God's enemies. And we will see the kingdom of Christ prominent, dominant, revealed, and operating in its full strength and beauty and wisdom. I think that Robert Thomas is exactly right when he writes in his commentary, the purging effect of God's wrath will touch the entire sphere of God's creation. The effects of sin will disappear and earth will be restored to its rightful owner. The consequence of this scroll's contents are immeasurable and eternal immeasurable and eternal. He is right. So again, we turn to the question of the loud angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to break the seals? Who is worthy to activate and to execute God's will? Who is worthy to activate and to execute God's justice, God's wrath, God's plan for making all things new? Who is worthy? I have some ideas. I have some suggestions for heaven to consider. Adam, I nominate you. You were the first of us. You were the best of us, weren't you? You got us in this mess. How about you get us out? Adam, why don't you go? Take the scroll. If not you, how about Noah? How about Noah, preacher of righteousness, builder of the ark? How about Father Abraham? What about Moses, giver of the law? What about Israel's best king, King David? If not him, how about one of the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah? If not them, how about one of the minor prophets? How about Jonah? Jonah! 
You go take the scroll. You go try. If if you'd rather go New Testament, that's fine. I'm good with that. Surely Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, surely she is worthy to go and take the scroll. If not her, how about one of the apostles? Peter, you go. You're always itching for a fight. You're always looking to go somewhere and do, you go take the scroll. Or maybe, maybe the answer has been staring us in the face the entire time. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John, John, you go. You go take the scroll. Here's the answer to every one of my suggestions. Verse 3. And no one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So to put it mildly, there is a shortage of worthy individuals. There is a shortage of people who are worthy to activate and to execute God's will, to accomplish God's justice, to unleash God's wrath, to fulfill God's plan for making all things new. In fact, there is no one, there is no one found. We are toast. Stick a fork in John. He is done. And John begins to weep and to weep loudly because he knows what this means. And we don't weep because we don't know what this means. But John knew better. John begins to weep. Why? Because if the scroll is not opened, I guess God's plan will just fail. It will just end. It will stop. I guess the weasel of this world, Satan, will just continue. He will just continue to deceive. He will continue to lie. He will continue to cultivate his rebellion. I guess the curse on creation will just stay. It it will never be removed. I guess so many of God's promises to Israel and to his people, they will just go by the wayside. They will be thrown away. They will be unfulfilled. I guess that the full glory of Christ's kingdom, it will never be revealed. And I guess Jesus will not really return for his people, as he said. And when you put it that way, that's something worth crying about. That is something that is worth weeping over. John is correct in his response. He is correct in his response. But of course, this chapter is not over. There is more to chapter 5 than an unopened scroll and John crying all over the floor of heaven. There's, there's more. There's more. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me... Now, stop there for just a moment... I love it that it's one of the elders here who addresses John and and speaks to John. Because if we're correct in understanding the elders as representing the redeemed people of God, then what we have here, and I know I'm I'm jumping ahead because I haven't read the full verse yet, but you know where this is going. Uh, What we have here, if we're correct in understanding it this way, is one redeemed sinner telling another redeemed sinner to look to Christ. John, uh, stop weeping and look to Jesus. And this, this, by the way, this is what we should, this is what we do for one another. This is what we as the people of God are to do for one another. To help each other, to keep our eyes firmly 
fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I love this. One of the elders said to John, weep no more. Behold means stand amazed. Consider this. Look at this, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So please note this on your outline. The worthy one we see is the fulfillment of God's royal promise to Judah and really to all of Israel through the line of King David. So who is this worthy one? Well, we are, we're told this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, what does, what does that mean? What does that mean? This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who cares? What, what does that mean? This means, brothers and sisters, that God keeps his word. It means that the prophecy and the promise that was given in Genesis 49 has not failed but it is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You remember back to Genesis 49 as Jacob is about to die and he is about to pass on from this earth and God speaks through him and God makes various prophecies and promises through Jacob concerning his sons. And here's what we read about the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49 verse 8. Jacob says, Judah, your brother's shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. From Judah, the king will come. The king will come. The king who deserves what? Who deserves All the obedience of the peoples. And here we are told in Revelation 5 that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The prophecy was ultimately pointing to Him all the way back in Genesis 49. God was looking forward to and promising the the ultimate victory of, of Jesus Christ. So yes, Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah and He's something else. He is said here to be the root of David. The root of David. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is not merely a descendant of David. Although he, he is that, okay? He's not less than that, but he is more than that. Jesus is a descendant of David, but he's more than that. In fact, he is the root of David, meaning he is the source of David. He is, in fact, the creator of David. And this is, this is partly what was so perplexing and so troubling to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders of Jesus' day, because Jesus claimed to be both the descendant of David, the son of David, and the Lord and the King who even rules over David. They they couldn't understand how these things can be. Remember in Matthew 22, Jesus posed 
this question to the religious leaders after they had tried to interrogate him and trap him and and trick him by their fancy questions. Then Jesus asked them this question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Of course, they knew the right answer. In fact, they were like, oh, Jesus, that's an easy one. Everybody know that. Everybody knows that Jesus is, I mean, that, 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 that the Messiah will be the descendant of David, the son of David, come from the line of David. And that's right. But then Jesus asked them this question that they could not answer. He said, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus asked them this question. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? If the Messiah is just a man, just a normal human descendant of David, then David is wrong to call him Lord. He is wrong to ascribe this exalted title of Lord to merely a human descendant. But of course, David is not wrong. The Messiah, Christ, he is Lord. And here in Revelation 5, we are reminded of the answer, uh, the the solution to Jesus' question that Jesus is, is not merely a descendant of David, but the root of David. And so as God, Jesus rules over and and in fact created David in the line of David. But as the God man, as the word made flesh, Jesus was born as a descendant of David through the line of Judah. So what do we see? Well, we see here now that we have found a worthy one, a worthy one, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, we're told that he is someone who is conquered, whatever that means. Well, let's see this worthy one. Let's see this lion. He sounds impressive. He sounds scary. He sounds intimidating. When I was a kid, I remember taking a trip in sixth grade to see the lions at the zoo, and we got there at the right time. We got there at feeding time. When they put the meat in, and man, that was exciting as a sixth grader. Watch those lions go to, man, I like that. Let's see some of that, heaven. Let's see this lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 6. We read, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That seems kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? I mean, I feel like I was promised a lion and all I got was a lamb that looked like it had been dead at one time. What? What is this? Well, don't be disappointed. In fact, let me share something with you that may be a surprise to you. Please note it on your outline. Number three, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called a lion one time. One time. And we just saw it in verse five. 
but Jesus is referred to as the Lamb about 29 times. At least 29 times, possibly 32, depending on how you count, but at least 29 times. Now, you would think that it would be the opposite, right? You would think that in a, in a book like the book of Revelation, which has a lot to say about God's righteousness and judgment, that it would continually emphasize Jesus as a lion, but it doesn't. It continually points to Jesus as the Lamb. Why? Simply this. Because Jesus' victory, His conquering, His overcoming, came about through His death. Yes, through His death, and then through His resurrection. Jesus came to die. He came to bring about victory to deal with our problem, our huge, massive problem with sin and death. He would deal with that through His life and death and resurrection. Jesus has portrayed the Lamb because He is the one that all of the slaughtered Passover lambs point to and look forward to. But... We also see something else here, that this lamb, he bears the scars, he bears the marks of his crucifixion, of of his death. John says that he sees a lamb as though it had been slain, as though it had been slain, and yet it is not slain. It is alive, it is standing, and this lamb that John sees, it is not a house pet. It is not, it is not merely a little lamb that you would bring into your living room and, and, and ignore and set off to the side. No, this is no cute little house pet. This lamb, John says, has seven horns and seven eyes. That's odd. That's strange for a lamb to have seven horns. And what is this about? Please note it on your outline. Horns, as you would imagine, represent strength power, and might. And this lamb has seven horns, meaning full power, complete might, perfect strength. And these seven eyes are, we are told, they are said to be the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And brothers and sisters, this is a reference to the fullness of the Holy Spirit which Jesus sent out into the world to to continue His mission, to live in His people and to testify to His saving work. So what we learn here, what we see here, is that this Lamb is almighty. This Lamb is omnipotent. No one can successfully oppose this Lamb. And this Lamb sees everything. In fact, this Lamb is so intimately connected and unified with the fullness of the Holy Spirit that His eyes are said to be the fullness of the Spirit, which again, Jesus sent out into the world when He ascended back into heaven. This is a picture of both humility, and immeasurable strength and glory in Christ. So this lamb, he goes and he takes the scroll. He takes the scroll. Why? For he is worthy. He is worthy to take the scroll. He is worthy to open the scroll. He is worthy to break all of 
the seven seals, he alone can activate and execute God's will. He alone is worthy to bring justice to completion. He is worthy to unleash God's wrath. He is worthy to fulfill God's plan of making all things new. The worthy one has been found. He has been identified. He has taken the scroll, meaning that God's plan will be fulfilled. It will be accomplished. So the question now is, how will heaven respond to this news? How will heaven respond? Look at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, which again represent all of creation, and the 24 elders representing God's redeemed people, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Please note it on your outline. The creation and the redeemed fall in worship. They fall in worship before Christ, just like, just like, they fell in worship before the Father on His throne in chapter 4. So we see, we see something very significant here. The Father is worshipped. The Son is worshipped. And in just a moment, we will see them worship together, for they are worthy. Now, before we move on to the three songs that are about to be sung that close out this chapter, we should notice the strange details that are given in verse 8. Why is it emphasized that these 24 elders have harps? Why is it emphasized that they have bowls full of incense and that these, this incense is the prayers of the saints? What is this telling us? Well, noted on your outline, harps are instruments of praise and worship. And here Jesus is eagerly worshipped. Prayer is also an act of worship. And here the redeemed do what? They gladly bring all of their prayers to Jesus because He is the one through whom we pray and He is ultimately the answer to all of our prayers. He is both. Through Christ we pray. Through Christ, we enter into the throne room of God and we bring our petitions, even as Hebrew describes that we boldly come before the presence of God through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that we pray and He is ultimately the answer to our prayers, to our prayers. Listen, for more and more people to know God, they will know Him how? Through Jesus Christ through His grace, through His victory, through His overcoming work, to our prayers for justice to ultimately be done. How will it be done in a final glorious way? It will happen through the work of Jesus Christ, to our prayers for healing and rest and peace. Listen, those things will fully and finally and perfectly be fulfilled and accomplished in Him to our prayers for the work of Satan and every deceiver to be stopped. How will it ultimately be stopped? It will be stopped in Christ because of the work of the line of the tribe of Judah to our prayers for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be accomplished through Jesus Christ and to our prayers where we simply cry out to God because sin is terrible and things are not what they should be. And we long for what is right, for what is true, for what is good, for what is beautiful. 
The lion of the tribe of Judah hears those prayers. The lamb hears those prayers. He sees. He knows. And he will act. He will act for his glory and for the glory of the Father and for the good of his people. Please note this on your outline. If anything, these verses should heighten our desire for and our appreciation of prayer. Prayer. What are your prayers? (laughs) Where do they go? How are they treated before God? They are not ignored. They do not go unheard. They do not hit the ceiling and disappear. They are as incense in the throne room of God before the Lamb. Think about that the next time you pray. Your prayers are not wasted. They are as incense brought into the very throne room of God. And now, in the throne room of God, as this chapter comes to a close, we see three songs. Three songs that focus on three different things, and with each song, we add more singers, more worshipers. The the choir grows. Amen. Right? The choir grows. Choir just started rehearsing this last week. It's not too late. Choir in heaven gonna grow. The choir at Harbor Shore is gonna grow. It's gonna be great. Okay, so the choir grows. This is this is as God intends. All right, but but note this on your outline. This this is important. Chapter five ends with three songs that grow in their scope and in their magnitude. Okay, now now let me break it down for you real quick. Don't try to write all this down. We'll go back over it in just a moment. But let me summarize it real quick. Okay, song number one worships the Lamb for what He has accomplished. It is sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Song number two emphasizes what the lamb deserves because of what he's done. Okay, it is sung by literally all of heaven. All of the angels join in on this song. Song number three directs praise to both the father on his throne and to the victorious lamb. It is sung by as near as John describes the entire cosmos, everyone and everything here acknowledging the worthiness of God. Okay, that is, that is growth. That is, that is significant. So with that in mind, look again at verse 9. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed or purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So again, noted on your outline, song, song number one worships the lamb for what he has accomplished, for what he has accomplished. And it is sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. So according to heaven, what has Jesus done? 
According to heaven, what is it that Jesus has done and accomplished for his people? Well, we are told that he died to make them his own. He died to redeem them, to ransom them, to purchase them for God and for himself. He died to redeem people from where? From every ethnicity, from every society, from every nation and people and group on earth. This is, this is why we care about global missions. This is why we care about worldwide missions, because there are people in literally every ethnic group on every planet, in every tribe that Jesus purchased and is drawing and is bringing to himself. And we have the privilege to participate in that. We have the privilege to help bring about the reality of what heaven celebrates in the accomplishment of the Lamb that all would be brought to see and to know the glory and the worthiness of Christ. Remember Jesus' spirit, the seven eyes, they have gone out into the earth to convict and to draw people unto Christ. So Jesus has done this. Jesus has not only done that, Jesus makes his people what? A kingdom. A kingdom and he is their king. He is their king. He has also made them priests. Priests who do what? Who enter into the very throne room of God. Priests who bring prayers and petitions and requests before him. And what does Jesus give to his people? What has he done for them? Victory. Victory. We are told that the redeemed, that we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign with Christ. We will see the full glory of his kingdom brought to completion. We will delight in our king and we will reign with him, sharing in his reward, sharing in his authority. This is your reality. This is your future if you are in Christ. This is true of you. This is what, this is what heaven declares the reality of Christ's work to be. But if you are here this morning, listen, and you are not a child of God, if you have never confessed your need for Christ, if you have not humbled yourself before Him and asked for life and cleansing and forgiveness because of Jesus' work, because of His death and resurrection for you, today is the day to do that. Today is the day to, again, humble your heart and to trust in Christ. Jesus says that He gives rest and life to everyone who comes to Him. Come to Him in faith today. Do that. Do that. So yes, song number one, song number one talks about how Christ must be praised for what he has accomplished, but there's more. Look at verse 11. It says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the, and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. The idea is countless angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Noted on your outline, song number two emphasizes what the lamb deserves, what the lamb deserves because of what he has accomplished. And it is sung by... All of heaven, countless angels joining in this song. Now, listen, <laughs> okay, either 
either these angels are right or they are very wrong. Either these angels are right in that they are worshiping Jesus and they should be worshiping Jesus, or these angels are wrong because only God deserves worship. Because only God deserves praise and honor and glory. Either Jesus is worthy of, and the way that this is worded, everything. Okay, he's, either he's worthy of everything or he's not. Did you hear the list? Notice this group of seven. What is excluded from this list? Like nothing. Uh, Here, the testimony of countless myriad of angels is that Jesus is worthy of power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. That's everything. He's worthy of everything. And either they're right or they're so wrong. Of course, They're not wrong. (laughs) They're not wrong. The testimony of heaven is not wrong. He is worthy of everything. He is the rightful heir. He will receive his full reward. Jesus is the Lord over every other Lord. He is the king over every other king. And listen, these angels know it. They know it. And so they rightly join in the worship of heaven. They are too amazed at the work of the Lamb to remain silent. So they praise Him. But we're still not done. Just a couple more verses to go. Look at verse 13. We continue. And, next, I heard every creature. Every creature. Now, what does that sound like? (laughs) Every creature? You heard every creature, John? Yep. Every creature. This cacophony of sound and praise. And John's, I heard every creature. Listen, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Please note it on your outline. Song number three directs praise to both the Father on His throne and to the victorious Lamb. And it is sung by the entire cosmos. Everyone and everything acknowledging the worthiness of God. We are reminded here of the truth that one day even the enemies of God, even those who hate Him and reject Him, one day they will have to recognize His worthiness. They will have to recognize the worthiness of the One who sits on the throne and the worthiness of the Lamb who died to redeem His people. Every creature, all of creation will confess that God is to be praised. All creation will testify to the supremacy of God, to the supremacy of Christ. And as you hear the scope of this verse, if this sounds eerily familiar to something that you've read in Philippians chapter 2, it should. It should. In Philippians 2, we read this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow where? In heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. That's exactly what John writes here. Only in Revelation, they also add about everything in the sea. And I don't know why that detail is added there. And it's not in Philippians. But the point still remains that all will one day recognize the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on in in Philippians and said, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is it. This is where all of human history is heading, to the worship of Christ, to the acknowledgement of his supremacy, all for the glory of God. So what should we do? What should we do in response to this? What should we do in response to the scroll and to the lamb and to the three songs? What should we say? What should we do? Note it on your outline, number six. Say what the four living creatures say and do what the 24 elders do. What did they say? What did they do? Look at the last verse, verse 14. Here it is. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, remember what we said a few weeks ago. The word Amen was not invented by Rob Blair. So, I know you... I'm just kidding. Rob, we just like to pick on you. But you know what? You gotta help the preacher when he preaches. You know what I mean? So I, I like, that's right. Amen. So remember what we said a few weeks ago? The word amen, what does it mean? It means right on, right on. It means I believe that. It means that is true. It is a word of affirmation. It is a word of, of support. This is what I believe. This is the reality. This, this is in fact in line with the truth of who God is and what he has revealed. And so yes, the four living creatures continually say, Amen. Amen. Meaning, believe this. Embrace the truth of this. This is the reality of the way things really are. Affirm this truth in your own heart and mind, but don't stop there. Don't just affirm the truth. You must then worship in response to it. This is, this is what uh, uh, the elders do as they fall down and they worship in response to it. The point is, let this truth change you. Let this truth guide you and direct you in your prayers and in your worship. Let this truth motivate you to love and to sacrifice and to giving of yourself for the glory of Christ. Let this inspire you to tell others of who Christ is and of what he has accomplished because he is worthy. The point is this, listen, even if nobody else does, you join in the worship of heaven today. You model and you walk in and you follow the worship of heaven today. Even if nobody else does, you do it. You say what the four living creatures say. You do what the 24 elders do. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are worthy. Help us to remember this truth, to see you as such, to live in response to what we've read today. Lord, we pray that we would be those who say amen to this truth, those who believe this truth, and yet not just believe it, but live in response to it. We pray that our lives would be marked by worship, 
because Christ is worthy. We pray that we would be faithful to live and to sacrifice and to speak and to share and to joyfully proclaim the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts today. We pray, oh God, help us not to forget. Help us not to forget this reality. This is truth. Let us live in response to it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.